Welcome to another episode of the Total BS Podcast. Justin, what is going on? My man Saul, I think for the first time in Total BS Podcast history, you're not the biggest celebrity on the show. <laughs> Dude, come on now. Come Take on. a back seat, buddy. You're setting you're setting everybody up for failure right now, man. What are you doing? <laughs> I am. I'm setting yeah, man. up for failure. Yeah. You got to take a back seat, buddy. Oh, we of got course. A, we got a very special guest coming up. I can't wait. Well, let's get started. Your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool is just part of the program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You're not whack. You just sound whack rapping after us. Yo, your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool is just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You're not whack. You just sound whack rapping after us. Again, that's MC Squared. Uh, they had just dropped another album called Paramount. Please check them out. They're all over Spotify. They're all over SoundCloud, iTunes, you name it. They're there. Uh, they lend us our sound. And I mean, they're awesome. We love them. So they're much great. appreciated. Yeah. So anyway, let's get straight to it. We have a special guest. Uh, you know, she's she's very, uh, very outspoken individual. She's honestly, she's one of my favorite individuals on ESPN. And uh, I reached out to her a couple months ago. and. She was obviously very busy with the last dance, the pandemic stuff that was going on, major craziness going on in the sports world. But we finally thought we got to a po- point where things were starting to calm down. And then obviously college sports just kind of threw everything um, into chaos yesterday. And she agreed to come on last week. So here she is. It is the one, the only Sarah Spain. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm great. I love your show intro. It's really cool. I also love the name because my – Wedding hashtag was this wedding is BS because <laughs> that's so, awesome. Yeah, the more conservative members of the family, I don't know if they loved this wedding is BS, but we dug it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. What, why, why was it? Was there any specific meaning behind BS? Was yeah, it like, well, Brad and Sarah. So, uh, there you go. So, yeah, yeah, it's Bookman and Spears. There you go. It's a yeah. there you go. It's a perfect. Well, <laughs> you know, Sarah, uh, you know, I think it's just you know, it's pointed just to get straight into it and talk about. The chaos that ensued yesterday, we all saw it coming and we knew, you know, the rumors were out there. But your overall thoughts on, first of all, let's start start with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 calling it quits for 2020. Yeah, you know, I've been saying this throughout the whole pandemic and quarantine as I really don't envy the decision makers like this. It goes so far beyond what's best for the conference or for sports. It really goes into being responsible for people's lives. And like a lot of time in sports, we talk about how sports can be very serious and influential, but we always remind everyone it's not life and death. It's just it's just supposed to be for fun. And in these cases, it is. And so you know, when you hear the commissioner of the MAC conference say that their medical panel told them it's just simply untenable to imagine, you know, being able to play a college fall season with the pandemic. Then you hear the ACC is being informed by a doctor out of Duke that says, you know, we can mitigate the risks enough that it's almost as safe as just anyone else being on campus. Um, you know, I, I think what's informing the different people are different opinions. And when you have an ever evolving and surprising virus like this, you're going to have different opinions. And so the hope is that they're at least making these decisions with the best interests of the students in mind, understand that there are incredible economic risks to canceling, to playing. Um, and so when I saw the Big Ten and the Pac-12, of course I was disappointed. I'm an adopted Michigan football fan, and this was going to be the year that they were going to beat Ohio State. I just know it. It's probably going to happen. Every year is the year you're supposed to beat Ohio State. <laughs> yeah, like the Cubs, right? There's always next year. So I've, I've, I've already got that attitude down. 
But um, yeah, so I'm disappointed. But at the same time, I really work hard in sports to not let fandom or appreciation or affinity for teams or people override morality or best judgment. And I think there's far too many people in our industry that can't balance those two. So I'm looking at that and saying, if they did that with all the monetary reasons they would have to want to push forward, then they have to have a good reason to make that decision. COVID-19 beat Ohio State before Jim Harbaugh did. That's so true. That uh, is so true. <laughs> on the other hand, Michigan will go undefeated this season. Boom. There they didn't is. lose. They didn't they lose. Didn't That's lose. a good point. But the part where I sit here and, and scratch my head is what happened over the last less than two weeks, really, because the Pac-12, 11 days before they decided to cancel sports for the rest of the year, they came out with a 10-game conference-only schedule. And it's not like COVID-19 has significantly significantly gotten worse over the last 11 days. So I'm sitting here trying to figure out like yeah. what exactly happened in that window. I think the biggest change, and this is coming from the least cynical place for me, the, the most cynical is by the time they realize the demands of the players, whether those be insurance beyond their graduation, uh, a percentage of revenue, guarantees of not having to sign liability waivers and the fear of liability for the school, those absolutely had a part in it. There's a part of me that wonders if, if any of these programs were thinking, if we completely abandon our faux amateur model, one that we've been able to keep pushing through for decades despite criticism, then we open a Pandora's box that there is no return from. And so the revenue in a half season without fans isn't worth abandoning entirely this model that we've profited from so much. That's the most cynical view. I think the more realistic view is that that played a role in it, but the increasing study of this myocarditis, which is the heart condition that they found in a number of people post-COVID. So they've recovered. They weren't even necessarily symptomatic or especially ill. And after they've recovered and no longer have the virus, they have this heart inflammation that can lead to extreme situations, including death in the case of athletes, especially. That kind of not knowing and the understanding that if you're going to handle this the way you would need to, then not only do you have to test for COVID, you have to test for antibodies. And then if they had it, then you have to test using EKGs and echocardiograms and everything else to find out whether they might have this myocarditis. And then you have to be aware. So like the amount that has to go into really truly being safe and understanding whether they can go out on the field became overwhelming and untenable for them. That's my best guess because that myocarditis thing was not as well known until very recently. Sure. And I, and I totally get that stuff. But again, like we already have guys in the NBA bubble who have already tested positive for COVID. We have guys that are major league baseball, whole teams that have been infected by COVID and they continue to play. And I, I have to, I have to assume that especially like it, when the NFL is going to start, they have the type of money, they have the type of medical influence and, and ed education and support behind them to, to look into those kind of things. And they're still carrying on with their seasons. So, right. But they also know, have money to test for them and react accordingly. And the question is, a lot of the programs, especially Mountain West, MAC, any of the programs that were early Ivy League to leave, they don't have the money to not only do the testing as regularly enough, but then the other testing for the heart conditions and everything else. So Eduardo Rodriguez, for instance, of the Red Sox, has the myocarditis now. He's out for the rest of the season and perhaps longer because they were capable of testing for it. And these are professionals and adults who get to choose for themselves whether they're opting out and how they handle their health. It's a whole different ball game when you're dealing with amateurs. I think one of the things that's also come up during this whole thing is the lack of leadership across the board. I mean, that's that has been the one constant I think that you can point to and say you have each commissioner from each conference kind of going their own way and nobody's really on the same page. Uh, do you think 
something is that is going to be kind of the silver lining in this dark cloud at the end of you know at the end of the road that they'll figure that out probably yeah. i mean i've thought about it a lot but sometimes people word things a certain way and your brain's like ah and yesterday someone's like what do you think mark emmert's doing right now just like sitting at home counting his piles of money and watch everyone else make decisions because it's true you can't be so proactive i envision him like scrooge mcduck jumping in the, exactly. like the jumping coin box. Of money and then like putting extra cream cheese on his bagel because there's no regulations for him on that but like you can't <laughs> be so adamant about cream cheese on bagels and that kind of thing and then in a pandemic be like whatever you guys want to do is cool like that doesn't work. And so there's obviously a reason to have an NCAA, but right now more than ever, it's being exposed as something that takes, takes, takes and regulates to benefit itself and is completely absent in the face of a serious predicament at a time when leadership is necessary. So I do think, yeah, there's going to be moving forward some real criticism of exactly what the role of the NCAA is and Mark Emmert and how like a lot of people early on said, oh, the power five will break off because they were also united. Uh, definitely not United now. And so I don't think that's in the works right now based on the fact that they're all operating independently, but there is way more conversation to be had about exactly how they all fit together in the role of this like faux amateurism. What do you think are the ramifications for say the PAC 12 and the big 10, because they're moving football to the spring. But as we all know, NFL draft is in spring. A lot of guys are getting ready for the next chapter of their life during that time. So what do you think could happen? Also, have you ever tried to play football in January or February in Illinois? <laughs> oh, heck no. I heck mean, no. yeah, it's cold as hell. Worse than December. Cause at least, you know, in December you're looking forward to Christmas. Um, it's to me, what we talked about a lot on Spain and company was the idea that it's better to put out a possible spring season than to declare it impossible and dead now. There's just no reason to. It's way too early. You have months and so many things can change that there's no reason to outright say we're not playing football in the spring. That being said, I don't know how viable it is. Between the draft, between the health and safety and, and the bodies of the players who would be playing essentially two seasons in the same calendar year with a very short, potentially two to three month off season, um, all of that stuff is is worth discussing. I, I think it's it's smart of them to say we we hope to have it in the spring. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of players who are never going to the pros, who are not going to return and spend a whole nother year in college for the sake of having that opportunity to play again, just because they have the eligibility. So having an opportunity for those players to play, and it might not be as exciting and it might not be as high talent, but will people who are really hungry for a college football season watch it anyway? Yeah. And isn't that what we're kind of doing with everything? The NBA bubble is not the same as a regular postseason, but are we eating it up and loving it because it's better than no NBA? Yeah. So I just think that, that some of the, it was hard for me to separate some of the cynicism for spring football from the anger and frustration of those who didn't want the fall canceled. So I don't want to say that they aren't genuine in expressing concern about the health and safety of the players overdoing it with their bodies. I just think that some of that is really an underline below that is that, that they were just reacting with extreme frustration and sadness about fall being canceled. I think there's plenty of time to still discuss how, and if it's possible to do spring football. Well, one of the one of the obviously the entities out there that have seems to have nailed it right on the the head is the NBA bubble. Uh, you just referenced it a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, going into the NBA bubble, I even personally was like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what this is going to look like. And I think out of all uh, of the three major sports that have come back, the NBA has absolutely nailed it. 
without a doubt. So when you look at the NBA bubble, your overall impressions and takeaways so far, just from an aesthetic uh, standpoint as a viewer. Yeah, well, it's worked so far in part because they haven't opened the floodgates to the wives and the girlfriends and the family members and the people that come into the bubble. We'll see how that works. I like the new rules they set out. Like, it can't be someone you just met on social media. Sarah, can I interrupt real quick? I love the story that is on ESPN.com. The story that Woj tweeted out has James Harden as the main photo. Yeah, well, yeah. there's, There's a couple faces of the NBA that I think everyone will have a special eye on. There was a reporter who posted a uh, a photo of just a, a condom wrapper on the ground in the bubble. And he's like, some people here are having much different experiences than I am. Um, listen, oh, my God. This is, I mean, not to get us off track here, but, you know, Stephen A is talking conjugal visits, and it is true. They're not in jail. Like, they haven't done anything wrong. So on one, t- on one side, it's like you're really just going to make guys spend months without getting any? It's complicated. Uh, but, yeah. As far as the aesthetics of the actual games go, um, I personally have said from the beginning that I would adjust pretty quickly to fake crowd noise and to the visuals being different. Of course, especially in something like baseball, you want to throw back the opposing team's home run or you want to see a fan catch a foul ball. But I'm so overjoyed to see a baseball season happening that I don't give a shit whether you get – can I swear? Whoops. I oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't care whether you get the exact thing you're looking for. And for the NBA – both the NBA and the WNBA, the visual has actually been really pretty to me. Like the virtual fans were kind of weird, but now I'm used to them. And the movement kind of does make it seem less like a flat background than it would be if it was just like a draping. I think the court looks nice. And I think the basketball is what you're there for. So once your brain adjusts, it doesn't really bother me. I don't miss it being uh, normal the way I thought it would. What's your favorite story? In the bubble, because there's a bunch. There's the Phoenix Suns going seven to zero at the time we're recording this podcast. Yeah. There's also TJ Warren looking like an yeah. all star, Mr. Cash Considerations. Which is favorite? Butler, yeah. Um, <laughs> I am a big Dame fan, and I'm a big Blazers fan in general. I just like the guys on that team. Like they do tend to sometimes underperform compared to the expectations once they get to the postseason. That's yet to be seen. But I like Terry Stotts. I like CJ McCollum. I like Dame. Like, it's a team I want to root for as people. And so when Dame gets into the mode that he's in, I just love it. Just the faces, the trash talk. He goes hard. He always goes hard. And so uh, I'm really into that. And then, you know, I think there's some stories that you kind of forgot about during that long hiatus. And then you, you jump back in and you're like, I completely forgot, like, we get to see what this incredibly weird small ball Houston experiment looks like in a full series versus just in a game or like the way the Raptors defensive approach is just confusing the hell out of people. Cause they don't know what they're getting uh, defensively on any given possession. Like that's really fun to watch. Is this the Toronto team pre Kawhi that, it, that did great in the regular season and then disappointed in the postseason? Or now that they've learned how to win, does it matter that Kawhi's there? Are they, are they going to be a team that, that you really have to think about as contenders? So there's a lot of good storylines. It's been fun. And then I now mean, is inexplicably headbutting people, which was real dumb. Uh, where'd that come from? Come on, man. Giannis Zedine or whatever that, yeah, that French soccer player is. Zedine de Kumpo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I, so Justin is a absolute Lakers fan, just so we all know. I'm and so I, looks like I, <laughs> And I'm a big fan <laughs> of Dame as well. Do you see the stat? Okay, so this is uh, like two days old now, so maybe it's different. But 
of over 1,800 different five-man lineups that have happened in Orlando. That includes anyone the Sacramento Kings have put out there, and they clearly haven't been trying. That includes garbage time and everything. Of the over 1,800 five-man lineups, the absolute worst has been the Lakers' starting lineup, minus 28 through 41 minutes as of like a day and a half ago. That blew my mind. I mean, even, even though I know they've been underperforming in pretty much every offensive metric, the idea that they would literally be worse than any other combination of five players that has been out there uh, is crazy. Saul, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, Saul. <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, that's why I want Dame to make it to the first round. If the Suns can't make it, then I yeah. would definitely want Dame to get that eight seed because I don't know if the Lakers could get past Dame the way he's playing right now. Yeah, well, there's such a fascinating experiment because I learned long ago back when my Bulls were occasionally in the mix in the East not to pick against LeBron in the postseason. It doesn't matter how trash they look in the regular season. It doesn't matter if his entire team is injured. He's going to he's gonna probably make it to the finals and he's probably going to win. This particular case is a fascinating one because you have two of like essentially the MVP candidates of the whole league on the same starting lineup. But then from three through eight, there's this drop off compared to other teams where you just haven't seen what you what you need to. So if they have a bad game, you know, it's, it's a real question mark. I still think in a playoff series with LeBron's experience with AD alongside him, it's hard to pick against that team. But something's got to happen between now and the postseason they got to wake up. And the fact that they keep mentioning these sort of very vague, subtle things about how the bubble's so weird and it's off the court, like what's going on behind the scenes with that team that they're not saying? Because it's clearly enough that LeBron's worthy, to, like willing to put it out publicly and have everyone speculate when he probably shouldn't have. Because now we're all wondering, like, are you fighting about masks? Are you disagreeing about COVID? Are there, you know, what's happening in the bubble that's preventing people from gelling? J.R. Smith threw soup at Jason Kidd, and probably. that's why yeah. everything is that's right. That's probably right. Either that, or you know, Matt Barnes tried to drive down to the bubble to fight Jason Kidd for something. You never know. Like, you never know. Oh man, Jason Kidd, the theme that that just the thread that just continues to get pulled all the way throughout. <laughs> Remember the the JJJ days with the Mavs? Oh mm -hmm. yeah, that was some good times. Yeah. Um, so saying, wait, Matt Barnes tried to fight Derek Fisher, not Jason Kidd. I'm mixing yes. up my. Derek Fisher. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm mixing up my ex-wives that people were fighting over. But there's still the WNBA bubble in Florida. Yeah, that's true. And, Matt Barnes can drive and fight Derek Fisher in there. Not <laughs> <laughs> doing up in smoke or all the smoke or whatever. Uh, before we let you go, Sarah, you know, first, uh, I know you're a big proponent of mental health. Um, and matter, matter of fact, you know, one of the things that we had discussed about you coming on the show was that Sundays are off limits because you do like to take a mental health day and you just kind of recharge and refresh um, can you just speak about, you know, the mindset and what maybe has even changed with you in terms of mental health over the years and the dis different perspective that you that you wish people maybe started to take on when it came to this um, yeah. you know, very important issue? Yeah, it's funny. I don't often use the term mental health day, but that's actually what my Sundays are like. I try not to schedule anything, even something I like doing because my other rest of the week is like a Jenga board. And like, I'm, I, I just want one day where I'm not like, Oh, I have to get to this and this and this, this. So I try to like, just, what do I feel like doing right now in this moment? And then I get to do it on Sundays. Um, you know, my friend Kate Fagan, who used to work with me at ESPNW wrote this great book, what made Maddie run. And it was about this UPenn freshman Super popular, beautiful, successful, smart athlete. And everybody thought she had it made and was super happy. And her social media showed her as this typical freshman loving parties and class and 
sports. Um, and she ended up uh, committing suicide, uh, or I guess completing suicide is what the term is usually used now, by jumping off of a parking garage. Um, and nobody knew that she was unhappy. She was not expressing that part of herself. And so in, in writing the book, Kate not only tackled her story, but also um, the, the, the numbers going up across college campuses of, of depression and mental health issues and how it's all tied to technology and everything else. And what she said in writing that book was before I started, I never considered having good mental health as a gift. And now I see it as the biggest one. And so for me, I feel the same way. I'm sort of a preternaturally optimistic person. I certainly can get in a funk every once in a while, but for the most part, I'm incredibly grateful, incredibly optimistic. And so in dealing more and more with people who struggle with depression or other mental health issues, I'm realizing that that's not something I earned. I just got real lucky. So when other people have not engaged with and really talked to people about the struggles that they go through and they think it's a choice or they're critical about it, it makes me really frustrated and angry. So I would encourage people to really actually educate themselves about depression, about how it affects your brain. There's this really great piece um, on a website called Hyperbole and a Half. I always recommend it. It's a cartoon. It's super quick and easy, um, but it's called Depression Part Two. And the website's hyperbole and a half. And it's the closest thing that I've read to making me sort of feel and understand what it is for someone who's going through something. And people I've spoken to that do suffer from depression have said the same thing about that particular little cartoon. Um, and so I just think we need to be a lot more open and listen a lot more to people when they when they ask or need things, especially now. Because as someone who is super optimistic over the last couple months of this pandemic, as our lives have changed and we haven't been able to do the things we want and see people and interact I've felt those moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, if this was every day for me, this sort of darkness and uncertainty and lack of control, I'm a total control freak type A. So like not being able to plan ahead for me has been like the biggest struggle. Um, I, I've, I've been thinking if this was every day for me, like what a weight. And so um, I'm just, you know, hoping that this is helping other people like reach out and talk to each other and understand it a little better. For sure. No, and also too, sports I think has done a great job at addressing mental health issues, especially the NBA. I mean, mm -hmm. Kevin Love, and I'm blinking on who is the oh, other. Listen. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, just just absolutely incredible, and I don't think sports has really seen anything like this. And I think it's an important time now more than ever that professional sports tackles these these issues, especially because of sort of these through lines of toxic masculinity and what it means to be weak versus strong or soft versus tough, whatever. Um, those things that get ingrained so young can be so bad for not being willing to express yourself or talk to people when you need it or allow yourself to feel emotion. And so the fact that there's some pretty high profile guys talking about it frees up other people to be more open. And they're doing really smart things in the NBA, like having mental health experts and people in the bubble or on team staffs where guys feel comfortable talking about it. So it's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I myself was diagnosed with depression uh, several years ago. Uh, I've been battling it, you know, and and trying to find out better ways to cope with it. And uh, you know, I think I've done a pretty good job. I also have some support animals that that I yeah. have with me. You know, Turtle, my little Frenchie, um, and my put oh, bulldog dude. Yeah, and so, but you also do too. You also have a couple yeah. animals, and uh, they're rescues, correct? Yeah, so I have three rescue dogs. One's probably like an Australian cattle dog mix, and the other two are pity mixes. And oh my gosh, during quarantine, like the most clutch thing because they are, they always are happy to go for a walk. They always want to snuggle. Like 
it's one of those things where you're home all day and you're just like, oh my God, this is great. I never have to leave my dog all day. And you think of it in a positive way instead of like, I don't get to leave my house. Instead it's like, oh yeah, I get to be with my dog all day. Um, so they've been huge and just like, yeah, the snuggles and everything is like a little physical therapy there. Um, but you know, it's interesting. I was just talking about how it like spins your perspective. One of the most useful things that I found in helping me during this and just in general over the last couple of years is I started learning about neuroplasticity, which is like a relatively new study of the idea that our brains are not set one way when we're born and through death. They're actually extremely, um, the plasticity, right? They're extremely malleable to change depending on how you use them. So one of the studies that kind of helped figure this out was they looked at uh, the brains of taxi drivers and the part that was about spatial recognition and direction was like much bigger, like physically bigger. And they realized that over the course of their jobs, they had literally created synapses, little bridges in their brain to get to those directions faster. And so they started to explore how you could do that across a number of different things. And essentially all these ideas that you think of as like hippy dippy, like crazy stuff. Like if you smile, your brain will like feel the smile and you'll get happier. Or like, you know, if you say you're grateful, you're, they're true. So if you <laughs> sit down every day and you write down four things you're grateful for, you're teaching your brain to go looking for positive instead of negative. And then in moments when you're doing something subconsciously, it jumps and it uses those little shortcuts instead of going the other way. So like the example I always use, because it's the easiest one for people to recognize is over the last couple of years, as I got into neuroplasticity and understood the importance of gratitude and started to try to do it like a practice of doing it, um, I'll be stuck in traffic and I won't even have that moment where I'm mad about it. I'll go, wow, what a great day to be in traffic. I'm not in a hurry. I don't have an appointment to get to. I'm really enjoying this podcast. And I'll be like, what the, f <laughs> what? Wow. <laughs> I don't even have the first moment of like, I'm so pissed about this. My brain immediately goes, wow, thank goodness this wasn't a day when you were in a hurry. You get to finish this podcast. like, And I noticed that so much more than I used to, like in moments that I used to know frustrated me, I recognize that they frustrate me. Like if I have to run an errand and I get there and the store's inexplicably closed. And I'm like, this was my only day this week to get this done. Like I used to get so mad and it would put me in a bad mood for like an hour because I'm with that Jenga thing. Like all my schedule got messed yeah. up. I'm a control freak. And instead I'd be like, oh, they're not open. Okay, I'm going to figure out next time to do that there's Target right there. Oh my God, I have an hour free to go to Target and like just wander around and see what I need. I love having free time. Like, <laughs> and it's just weird how once you start acknowledging those things and then putting into practice this idea of how do I spin this, how it can be big picture useful, like in a pandemic, right? I'm so lucky to have a job. I'm lucky to have a safe place to live. I'm lucky to have dogs to snuggle. I'm lucky that, you know, the weather is nice and I can go for a walk versus I miss my friends. I'm losing money. I can't go to parties or concerts, you know, and the way you look at it and the way you train your brain to look at things can change so that if you are someone who's naturally depressed or otherwise, you can actually make your brain work differently. And to find that out, what a gift, yeah, right? Because then you don't absolutely. feel stuck in what you feel like you're destined to have to deal with the rest of your life. You can actually change it. For sure. For sure. I mean, that's a great perspective. I, I didn't even think about that. Well, I yeah. immediately... I immediately thought of the SNL skit with Michael Jordan and uh, I forgot what the other character's yeah. name were. He's like, you're looking in the mirror. He's like, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm smart, smart enough. And yeah. gosh darn it, people like me. That's it. That's it. Uh, Sarah, we always ask this question to our guests. What are you watching on TV right now that's not sports? Oh my gosh. So I have like four things in rotation depending on what I'm in the mood for. So we started watching Pose, which has been around for a while, but I had never gotten into it. 
Um, you've definitely seen some of the uh, actors and actresses from it on like red carpets. It, it kind of was like getting a big buzz. Um, and it's about the sort of like um, uh, ball LGBTQ trans scene back in the day in like the 70s and 80s. It's really fascinating. Um, so Pose, I went back and started Parks and Rec, which I never watched the first time through. So I'm on like season five of that. I love it. I went back and started Gilmore Girls from the beginning. That's when I'm in a bad mood or I'm sad. It's like my comfort food. It's like a bowl of mac and cheese. It's like just hanging out with Lorelai and Rory. Um, and then I never watched Happy Endings the first time, but I had Adam Pally on my podcast and everyone was like, how did you never watch it? So I started Happy Endings, which only was like three seasons long. And then, um, and then it's just a mix of like documentaries and like whatever people are like hot on that has just hit Netflix. So it's kind of a wide range. I'm not, I don't watch almost anything super serious right now because the world sucks. Yeah. <laughs> News sucks. Like I always watch John Oliver, The Daily Show, Stephen Colbert. Like I pretty regularly watch those. So I get my news with like a spoonful of sugar. And then after that, no murdering, no detectives, no true crime. No, I don't need that. I need, I need Rory and Lorelai and start Hollow. <laughs> Hanging out with Luke at the diner. I need Parks and Rec. I need small town Indiana goodness. Like I can't take the rest of it right so, now. So so my fiance used to watch Gilmore Girls. Okay. And well, she still does, and she'll play it in the background. And I used to fight it all the time. Like, I don't want to watch this dumb movie yeah, or this dumb show. And now, like, she stopped it, like maybe, I don't know, maybe the last season she stopped it like nine episodes short of the end. Yeah. And I was like, so what, what the hell happened with Lorelai? What's going on with, you know, it's just like all these questions. You didn't finish it. Yeah. I need answers. Yeah. My husband will not watch it with me. He watched one episode because I told him, oh my God, I married Luke. I married Luke. Like <laughs> you're lovely and considerate and wonderful, but also very curmudgeonly and yes. <laughs> a little bit grumpy. Yeah. Um, so I made him watch it to be like, all right, who am I? <laughs> Ever since July 15th, I've probably seen Last Dance at least three times because they oh, wow. added it on Netflix and now it's so easily accessible. Yeah. And at any moment you're like, I just want to watch that one highlight reel to I'm bad. Right. I just want to. Absolutely. Well, it's Sarah, we can't thank you enough for joining us. You also are relaunching Spain and Fitz yeah. on the 17th, correct? Well, the great thing about this is it does relaunch on the 17th, but I will be on vacation that week because it's my first vacation of the whole like since February and I happened to take it when they decided to launch the show. Um, so I'll actually be back starting the week after, which I think is like the 24th or something, but Fitz will get us kicked off on August 17th. And then, yeah, we're back from seven to 9 PM Eastern. I loved working with Fitz. We loved working together. The only reason we broke up the show the first time was because they wanted someone to regularly be available for Golik and Wingo when one of those guys was out. So they put him into the mix there. Then he started doing first, take, first take your take. Uh, in the afternoons for a bit, but now we're back together. Uh, this time the sequel will be even better than the original and uh, it's going to be awesome. We have a lot of fun. And you also do the, that's what she said podcast. Yep. And, and are you still doing Spain and company or is that, that well, off the table now? Getting replaced by Spain and Fitz. Okay. So it'll be, that's what she said. Spain and Fitz around the horn, highly questionable sometimes writing for ESPNW. Uh, and then who knows what else we can't plan ahead, which is totally <laughs> fine with me. I'm go with the flow. <laughs> Sarah, are you, are you keeping the same intro? Because I, I host a radio show out here in Arizona on ESPN Radio, and we're on a little bit of a delay with with certain shows. So yeah. literally, like as soon as I'm done, you your show comes on, 
and yeah. I always get the Lizzo song stuck yeah. in my head. Well, no. So it's so when it was Spain and Fitz the first time, it was half Chance the Rapper rep in Chicago and half a Fitz fiddle solo because he was with the band Perry. His, yeah. his life before sports radio was as a country music star. So it would go Chance into fiddle solo back to Chance. Uh, <laughs> and then when Spain and Company took over, it was my show. So it was Lizzo, of course. Got to get that juice. And now... Uh, you'll be the first to learn that the new intro will be a real funky James Brown beat that is from an old school James Brown tune that I heard when I was watching um, actually a James Baldwin documentary. Um, and as soon as the song hit during the documentary, I was like, oh, I like made the stank face. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> we were looking for a song and we were like, what's this? It's like a beat that just like is going to get you energized. I was like, here you go. And they were all like, okay, yep, that's the one. I'm down because at, uh, I haven't been on radio in, in a little bit now. I don't know when I'll ever, I'll come back, but <laughs> it, it was any time our show ended and then your show came on, I would catch myself like walking to my car, like just, it ain't my fault. I'm just out here getting loose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always like the songs that people write in and they'll be like, what's that song? Cause like the last one was the chance. And so it was another one that like, it was like, all night I've been drinking, all night I've been drinking, all That's night. That's right. So I was <laughs> that you're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> so James Brown has just like more of like, a, like, oh, okay. It would be like sitting in your car driving, like, okay, let's go. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be good. For sure. You you always have to go to good. Every superhero has to have a good theme song, right? right. That's what we heard before. And uh, that's why we start off the show with a little bit of uh, music just to get people we get into the to the podcast. So Maybe Sarah, we'll big time enough for our own song. We'll have someone write it for us. But for now, we're going to go with old school. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the Total BS podcast today. We, I mean, honestly, we're, we're big fans of yours. We, we followed your work. And uh, thank you so much for responding to me when I reached out. Yeah. For sure. It was super fun. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Justin, Sarah Spain in the house. How was that? That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? That was incredible. Uh, you know, we're big fans of Sarah, like you just said, Saul. And, you know, we've been watching her. I mean, she's been at ESPN for a little bit now. And, you know, she always adds great insight on Around the Horn uh, whenever she goes down to Miami and and helps out with Dan Levitard on his radio show and also on Highly Questionable uh, just so insightful. You just listen right there. She's got great personality, and she's just a great person. So I can't thank Sarah Spain enough uh, for coming on the Total BS Podcast. And with that, make sure you subscribe to the Total BS Podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and also be sure to subscribe on YouTube and give us a like and a follow on all social media platforms. Absolutely. I, I again, uh, we we we've been saying this multiple times throughout the weeks and the months that we're trying to go after some bigger uh, guests, and that is what we have done um, with a couple of our guests. You know, we we go back to Freddie Fitzsimmons, Scoop B from the East Coast. Um, you know, Corey Williams from ESPN actually was my co-host for a day, and uh, you know, and then now Sarah Spain, Mikey M last week. So we're going to continue to try and get some big time guests for you guys because hey, that's that's the reason why you're trying to tune in, right? You want to hear exactly. somebody's perspective besides just me and Justin or Justin and I. And so uh, Estella would absolutely murder me for saying me and Justin. So um, grammar we, police. Exactly. But uh, again, uh, we we can't thank you guys enough for joining us on this rare 
Um, uh, you know, we did, we recorded this earlier in the week. We're posting this obviously today on Sunday, but, um, we did post this full podcast episode in case you want to listen to it while you're driving and, and rewind what we just talked about. But, uh, next week we will not have a podcast during the week, but we will be back next Sunday for a whole new total BS podcast live stream until then, Justin, you got anything else? No, we'll see you then. Okay, Peace. we'll see you when you see you. Peace. Your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool, it's just part of the program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You're not whack, you just sound whack rapping after us. Yo, your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool, it's just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You not whack, you just sound whack rapping after us. <laughs>